Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Amen. We're going to get into the word of the Lord here tonight. We're going to get into the scripture. Amen. We're going to finish up. We're going to do our best to finish up the book of Titus. And it has been uh, it has been a, a fun journey here in the book of Titus as we have just dug deep into uh, word, the words and the verses here as Paul was writing this letter to his son in the gospel, Titus, as he has been um, delegated with the responsibilities of pastoring and raising up, really raising up pastors to lead this, this, this region in, in the island of Crete, this group of churches and pastors, this uh, church here on the island of Crete that Paul has delegated to Titus to raise up leaders for. And so Paul tells Titus, he said, I've set you there, I've left you there to set things in order. And so we find that this book really is about order, a spiritual order, spiritual alignment. And we find that in the first chapter, second chapter, and third chapter, that we find order in leadership. The first chapter of Titus was really just about delegating spiritual leadership, the qualifications for a bishop, the qualifications for an elder, the qualifications for pastors, and that there are certain qualifications that come with spiritual uh, leadership and spiritual authority. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? That there's some qualifications that God has. Furthermore, uh, in the second chapter, we find a, a alignment and discipleship. And we went through, we spent the bulk of our time in the book of Titus just going through Paul's instructions, the, the instructions that, that Paul would have for older men, older women, younger men, younger women, uh, bond servants or employees. And so we find that, we, that, that there is a, there's an alignment for discipleship. There is an order. There, is, there are a set of responsibilities that come with being a disciple. And finally... We're going to take a look here in chapter 3. We're going to knock it out, hopefully, in one, in one session here tonight. Just an order in conduct, an order in conduct, Christian conduct, all right? And so we're going to get into the Word of the Lord. Let's look at the book of Titus, chapter 3. It's not many verses here. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to kind of hone in. And uh, Dan, if you would, I want you to, if you could do me a favor, um, if you're able to, just punch in two more scriptures, Exodus chapter 4, verse 26, if you want to write it down, Exodus chapter 4, verse 26, we're going to look at that in here in just a minute, if someone wants to, Exodus chapter 4, verse 26, and then, and then we're going to get into Genesis chapter 17, 9 through 14, Genesis 17, 9 through 14, and hopefully I will Use those scriptures after I've made you go to the trouble, all right? All right, let's get into the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3, we're going to try to wrap it up here tonight. The Bible says this. Here's Paul. He says, remind the people, talking to the people, the disciples, the church, to be subject to the rulers, to be cooperative with rulers and authorities, all right? Without getting into too deep of a dive here in what this means, but the authority is is both possessed and delegated it's 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 central and it's also delegated and paul is saying that the christian conduct should be one of cooperation with authority and delegated authority that if you are a christian that you understand that 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 all authority comes from god the bible says that promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west 
nor from the south, but God is judge. He raises one up and puts down another. And in other words, what the Bible's telling us is that all authority is delegated from God. That's the message of Roman, uh, the book of Romans, that, that in a general sense that God has placed uh, positions of authority in, in place um, for the uh, stability of societies and, and, for, and for nations. And, and so in a general sense, that God is the giver of authority. And so as Christians, that we are to cooperate with not only authorities, but delegated authorities, all right? And so what does that look like on the job site? Not only are we to cooperate with the people uh, who are the bosses, but we are to cooperate with those who have been delegated tasks and responsibilities to lead or delegated authority, managers, middle managers, people who are in charge, supervisors. We're just to have a cooperative attitude. That's that's the attitude of a Christian. But he goes on in verse number two. He says, uh, back it up, verse number two, not only do we need to be cooperative with authorities and cooperative with those who are in authority, but we also need to what? Get this, to slander no one, all right? Woo, man, this is getting convicting already. Slander nobody. Don't be talking about people. Don't be dog and people, all right? All right, he just got done talking about authorities and delegated authorities. And so I would have to assume that would that would directly relate to those in positions of authority and those in positions and delegated positions of authority, but be peaceable and be considerate. That's good advice. Amen. Get along with people. Be a peaceable person. Don't be a contrarian. Don't be don't 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 always just kind of have to just Everyone's going left, and you've got to go right, or vice versa. Don't don't be defiant. Uh, don't have a disposition of of trying to just uh, just defy everything and everybody. Be a, be peaceable. Be considerate of all people. Amen. And so, and always be gentle towards everyone. Don't don't be brash and rude and inconsiderate. Don't be a jerk if you will, whether whatever the context is. You want to try to get along with people. You want to try to be considerate of other people's thoughts and other people's feelings. They say in a professional environment, particularly in sales, the big just kind of training push in sales is, is this idea of emotional intelligence, emotionally intelligent selling. And that's just uh, our company has invested, gosh, I would say tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars into sales training. And the big push is emotional intelligence, being able to to read uh, cues that people are giving you, selling cues, and 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 be able to read people's uh, just uh, uh, buying cues and 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 personalities, and they kind of categorize people's personalities and 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 how you should interact with people based upon their personalities and their temperament, and just the the, the bottom line is you've got to be emotionally intelligent to understand what people are feeling, what people are thinking, being considerate, being peaceable, being gentle towards. Towards everyone, all right? Is that all right? Verse 3. And at one time, we too, because here's the reason, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were deceived and we were enslaved by all sorts of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice. We lived in envy, being hated and hating one another. Do you remember that time where you were serving for the Lord, serving the Lord, and you were just, you were just, you were filled with malice. You, you were just out to just, you just, angry at the world and the world was angry at you. I was thinking about this this morning when I was reading through this, this scripture back in a time in my life. I remember I was just thinking about a period in my life in high school. Man, I just, just, I had just, uh, <laughs> I had just a bad disposition, I had a bad temperament. And I remember getting into it with this kid, my 
the end of my sophomore year of high school it was. And uh, I was just a little, little, I was a little punk. And I was just, just sagging my pants and wearing just big old t-shirts. I had Nike earrings in each ear and a gold necklace. And I had frosted tips in my hair. This is an embarrassment to even share this. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking. Some of you came up in that era. You know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Tommy Hilfiger jeans and t-shirts and just Nike t-shirts, Jinko jeans. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 The Lord did a good work in my life. Amen. That's right. And uh, I just remember just being just being a punk to people and people being a punk to me. All right. So just don't ever lose sight of that. All right. Maybe in your own life it looked a little different than it looked for me, but that's. That's what the scripture is saying. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, amen, come on, amen, it made a difference in our life. He saved us. Come on, He saved us. He made a difference in our life, not because of righteous things which we have done. We're going to get into this, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit made a difference in your life. If you're in church tonight, the Holy Ghost is working on you, is working in you, is working through you, and it should make a difference in your life. Amen. Whom He poured out on us generously. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, God is not stingy with the Holy Spirit. God is not reluctant to pour out the Holy Spirit. If you have faith, if you have belief, if you have sincerity, if you have repentance, God is going to pour out His Spirit generously on your life, and it's going to make a difference in your life. Verse 7, so that having been justified by His grace, amen, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. There's a lot here. Verse 8, that is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, all right? So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good or to doing good works, all right? Now, it looks like I've used the NIV here translations for some reason on accident. I wish I would have used my ESV or my King James. It wasn't intentional, but he says good works. I want to tell you, we're going to talk about good works tonight because five times, five separate occasions, uh, Paul makes a point of encouraging Titus to stress to the church in Crete uh, to to not lose sight of the importance of good works. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, that you cannot lose sight of the significance of doing good works. All right? Verse 9, we're going to talk about it. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these things are unprofitable and useless. It's important to note He's contrasting these types of Christians who are just really into controversies, genealogies, arguing, debating, quarreling, getting into deep arguments about the Scripture, the law. They just want to argue. They just want to fuss. They just want to be the experts on everything. You see them on Facebook. just drives you crazy. It's like, man, have you ever done anything, and yet you want to pick a fight with everybody? And he's saying, don't be that kind of person. Don't be that kind of Christian. He said, you need me more about doing good works, demonstrating your faith instead of just talking about it, picking a fight with everyone. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, what does he say? Have nothing to do with him. Just going to drag you down. They're going to drag you in the dirt. They're going to drag you in the mud. 
Verse 11, you may be sure that such people are warped and they're sinful. There's something not right there. If someone wants to get on Facebook all the time, they just want to argue with people. They just want to argue with everybody. They just want to have some big, just, just, they think they have some big deep thought and they just want to just kind of prove everyone wrong because they've got some special thought or some special revelation. There's something, there's something going on there that's usually not evident right at first, but just be aware of that. You may be sure that such people are warped, sinful, they're self they're self-condemned, all right? Verse 12, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus, Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Paul was going to stay in this region called Nicopolis. Verse 13, do everything you can to help Zenos and the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to good works. Here it is again, to doing good works, to doing what is good. To good works, everyone say good works, in order to provide for urgent needs and to not live unproductive lives, all right? The significance of good works, all right? And I think that's it, right? Verse 15, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet all those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you. Grace grace be with you all. Amen. All right, five times in the book of Titus. This is one of the big themes in Titus. Paul discusses the significance, the importance of of good works, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna just kind of take a little little bit of time to just kind of talk about this tonight. Um, in Titus chapter one verse sixteen, in Titus chapter two verse seven, in Titus chapter two verse fourteen, in Titus chapter three verse eight, and in Titus chapter three verse fourteen, Paul mentions the significance of good works. Let's take a look at these again, just so we can review here. They profess to know God, but in every but in works, but in their works. They deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every work. In other words, Paul is saying that one way that you can identify someone who's sincere and truly living for God is, is not just their profession of their mouth or a confession uh, verbally, but through their lifestyle, through their works, or what Paul refers to as good works, through their conduct, through their lifestyle. And say one way that we can actually deny our faith in Jesus Christ is not just by denying him through our mouth, but by denying him through our lifestyle, through our works. Let's go to the next scripture Paul references here in Titus regarding works. In all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works. This is a very concentrated theme here in the book of Titus. More than any other book in the New Testament, Paul is emphasizing to this church in, on the island of Crete that they need to be they, they need to be uh, aware of the significance of good works in all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works, consistency in good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Let's go to that next verse regarding good works. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Our good works... Amen. Confess our faith in Christ. Our good works, or our lack thereof, are actually a means of denying our faith in Christ. We need to be a people who are zealous for good works. We need to be a people who are demonstrating a consistency in good works. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. What does the Bible say? That this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly, consistently, repeatedly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good 
works. Here it is again. You, you, this is a faithful saying that you need to remind them constantly, repeatedly, that if you believe in God, it should flow out through your lifestyle, through good works. These things are good, and these things are profitable to men. One more, Titus 3, verse 14, we just read it. He says, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, specifically to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. That one way that, that we can prevent ourselves from becoming stagnant in our faith is to maintain good works. In the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus tells John, this church in Ephesus, you're doing all of these things great. You're doing all of these. You've got strong doctrine. You've got strong discernment. You hate what I hate. You love what I love. You're doing all these great things. You're a really established church. You're a strong church, this church in Ephesus. But he says, one thing that I have against you is you've, you've left your first love. You've gotten stagnant. You've gotten lukewarm. You've gotten away from the things that really matters. And he diagnoses the spiritual problem. You've left your first love. And then he provides the solution or the antidote. He said, you need to get back to the first works. You need to get back to the very first works. You need to get back to doing the things that you were doing when you were really in love with me. And if you'll get back to doing those things, then then that love and that passion will begin to follow shortly. That there's something significant about good works and good faith. And so five times here in Titus, Paul encourages this church in Crete, that we need to be aware that, yes, we are saved by faith. Yes, we are justified by faith. Yes, faith is what initially allows us access into the grace, into the mercy of God. God didn't save you because you were, you hear me say it all the time, but I'm going to finish the formula tonight. God didn't save you because you were good or righteous or moral or religious or self-disciplined on your own. All those things are great. But that's not, that does not amount, doesn't even compare to the righteousness, the goodness, the perfection, the mercy, the moral perfection of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He made for us on Calvary's cross. Your, your, your goodness, your, 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 your religion, your, your self-right, none of that can compare to what Jesus did for us on, on the Cal- cross of Calvary. And instead of God looking to our good works initially for grace and justification, he, call, he makes us to look to Christ and His good work so that in believing in His good work and His perfect work and His righteousness that we can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ initially. And, but while our faith saves us through God's grace, God's grace through our faith saves us, that that is not where the story ends. That just because you have faith in Jesus, just because you've come to faith in Christ and God has given you a new heart and a new desire, maybe initially you put your faith in Jesus and, and, and you're a believer in the Lord and you've come out of the world in some respects, you put your faith, now you call yourself a believer, you, you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that is not where the Christian journey ends. Because the Bible is very clear that while initially we are justified by faith in Christ, that there, are, there is a lifestyle, that there are works of obedience that we are required to follow through and obey. That the Christian life is not just one of faith, but it is also one of obedience and works. And works in and of itself is not going to save us, but works by faith in Christ is, has, a, has everything to do with the Christian faith. I want to just kind of show you this. I'm going to give you just a kind of a just a basic theological explanation. We know that Abraham in Genesis in, in Romans chapter 4 
that the Bible, Paul makes the argument that we are, that we are, that Abraham was justified in God's eyes, called righteous through his faith, through his, his faith in God's promises, that before he was even circumcised, he was, he was justified in God's eyes by faith. That's the whole just theological premise that Paul gives us in Romans 4. But that's not the end of the equation or the fullness of the story, because the Bible goes on to tell us that after that after God justified Abraham in his eyes by faith in his promise that God required Abraham to obey works of righteousness or works of obedience. Look at what Genesis chapter 17 says. That yes, you've been justified, but you have to obey good works, otherwise you will be cut off from the covenant. Uh, what, did, what did I say? Genesis 17? It's not pulling up. Here's what, here, let me just tell you the story here. Here's what happens. Abraham has believed in God. Abraham has followed God, but now God begins to give Abraham some criteria to live by or some stipulations of the covenant. The very first stipulation that, or the most significant initial stipulation of his covenant or relationship or partnership with God is that he had to circumcise his entire household. And God was so serious about this, he says, you are to circumcise everyone in your household throughout all the generations. And God was so serious, he goes on and says, and anyone who is not circumcised will be cut off from the nation of Israel. That yes, Abraham, that through faith in me you've been justified, through faith in me you found grace, through faith in me you found mercy, through faith in me you found relationship, through faith in me you found covenant. Unless you believe, none of those things are possible. But the reality is now that you've entered into belief with me, Abraham, I have some requirements. There's a, there's a faith that you have to obey. There's a pattern of life that you have to follow. There's some things that I'm going to ask of you and require of you. And he says it's so important, it's so significant, that unless you obey these certain stipulations, anyone who refuses to obey or follow through their faith with good works or obedience, he says, will be cut off from the nation of Israel. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. I'm not going to spend much time here, but I'm just going to give you the theological premise here for for what James says, that faith without works is dead. This is so serious that there's this obscure scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter 4. And Paul's carrying out this principle that faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith. That your faith can die. That yes, you've believed in the Lord. Yes, you've obeyed the God unto salvation. You've, you've believed and you've obeyed. You've followed God into justification and belief. But unless you obey the Lord, your faith has died. And there's a story of, of Moses in Exodus chapter 4. I didn't mean to get into this, but he says, uh, now you know Moses was called. Moses was one of the great prophets of the Bible. Moses was the man that God chose to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses was the man. Moses was the prophet. Moses was the leader. Moses was the mediator of the law. But there is this portion of Scripture here in Exodus chapter 4, verse 26, where the Bible says that God was actually getting ready to kill Moses. That his faith in God was getting ready to die very literally. He says, so let him alone. It was then that he said, verse 
25, my goodness, I've got you all messed up. Are you able to add that? Verse 24 through 26, the Bible says that God was actually getting ready to kill Moses in the wilderness on the way to Egypt. They, were, they had left the backside of the wilderness. They were on their way into Egypt to talk to Moses, to talk to Pharaoh. He hadn't even got to Pharaoh yet. And God stopped Moses dead in his tracks. And he said he was getting ready to kill Moses unless he had circumcised his son. That Moses had faith, but he failed to follow through that faith with obedience to God's word. And we find this very just interesting and significant scripture. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put Moses to death. Verse 25. Then Zippor took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. There's a lot there, but the point is that, as James says this, that faith without works or obedience ultimately is a dead faith. All right? We're going to look at this. Now, let's talk about good works tonight. How's everyone doing? Let's talk about good works. I just want to set that as a premise here, and we can get into that later if you want. Now, Paul says, as Christians, our faith should translate into good works. Our faith needs to translate into a lifestyle of good works. Let's talk about good works for just a little bit. If you want to pull up that next slide, I want to tell you one few things that good works are not. As Paul emphasizes, number one, as I've mentioned, good works are not redemptive. And good works are not to be self-serving. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to reiterate what I've just said. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. God didn't save you by works, lest anyone should boast. All right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God didn't save you by good works. He saved you to good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God has a plan for your life, that God has a purpose for your life, that God has put desires in your heart and abilities in your heart and talent in your heart or opportunities into your heart, that God made you a certain way, wired you a certain way. And, and, and God has created you uniquely and gifted you uniquely to use those giftings, those time, that time, that talent, those opportunities available in your life to glorify God and to serve the kingdom of God. It didn't, it's not what saved you, but God wants to redeem you and then use those things for, for his glory and for your good. The other thing that good works are not are self-serving. Look what Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 says. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in synagogues and on streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. All right? And so he's we're going to look at this, all right? It's important to make these distinctions. It's not good works that we're getting ready to talk about. It's not what saves you initially. And it's not really to, it's not to be done in a way that is self-serving and to put the focus on you. But we're going to see what good works are intended to be. Let's take a look at this, all right? I've got a lot here. I, I apologize. I'd hate to do this to you, but we're just going to get into this. Okay, the very first thing that good works are is they're to be glorifying to God. And Dan, you're just going to have to bounce around with me in math. Just we'll, we'll bounce to the text and then back to that. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, in one scripture, he says, don't do good work so that you can blow the trumpet and get the spotlight on yourself and draw attention to yourself and make it all about you and what you're doing. But in this other almost seemingly contradicting text, he says that when you do good works, let people see it so that they, they can glorify God. The difference is, is that in one motivation, you're doing the good works to, to bring glory to yourself. And God's saying that's not what it's about. 
That's not what I've called you to. It's not about you. But, but you should live a life that's glorifying to God. That, that when you do good works, when you help others, and we're going to talk about just some examples of good works, that when you do these things, when you engage in these things, when you participate in, in good works, that they are to be in a motivation or an attitude to glorify, to bring glory to God. Not only to glorify God, but they are to be helpful to others. This is practical teaching here tonight. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says that he has faith, all right, here it is. Someone says he's got faith. I've got faith, but I don't have works, but, but, but not works. I, I believe in the Lord, but I don't have to live like that. I, you know, I don't have to do that. I, you know, I don't have to go to church. I don't, you know. What, what, what good is your faith if it's not followed through with works or obedience? Can that faith save him? That's the whole argument. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. In other words, I have a, a, a belief or a compassion or a desire to, to, to see something good happen to you. But I don't take action or engage in the good works to actually do it without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? In the same respect, if you see someone that is, <clears throat> that is you know, just, you know, in a burning home, and you have the ability to save them, and you don't save them. What good was that? In the same way, if you say you have faith, and you don't live a life of faithfulness or obey the faith in which you confess to believe, what good is that? In the very same sense, the person that was in the burning home that you could have saved, taken action to do a good work and save them, that if you do not do that, then that was of no value to them. And in the same way, if you say you have faith in the Lord, but it doesn't translate into your life, into your convictions, into just how you live and how you treat people and how you serve God, then, then what good is it? And so faith is to glorify God and it is to be practical in, 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 in helping people. The third thing is it's to be motivated by love and sincerity. We're talking about good works tonight. He said, I, I, if I give all that I have, if I give it all away, then if I deliver up my body to be burned and I have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, what he's saying, like, listen, this is Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. And he's saying, like, you know, you can have all these gifts. You can prophesy. You could preach. You could heal people. You could have discernment. You could have words of knowledge. You could just understand all the deep mysteries of the Bible. You could do all these good works. You could be a generous person and just give all of your money to the poor and all these great things and do all of this stuff. But if you're not doing it out of sincerity and out of love, what good is it? What have you gained? And so we have to be motivated by love and by sincerity. Furthermore, good works have to keep us, are there to keep us from becoming stagnant in our faith. Let's look at this again. Titus chapter 3, verse 14. And let our people learn to, to, to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent needs and to not be unfruitful. I heard a wise person once say, Jim Sleva, who's a great missionary, missionary to Russia, and just an incredible, incredible man, I think Russia was Germany, Germany, and uh, <clears throat> just, uh, just a true Christian. If you ever met a Christian, it was him. And uh, he said something that is so true. He said that exposure breeds a burden. And man, isn't that the truth, that exposure breeds a burden? But what, what Paul is saying here is that, you know, we need to be people that are prepared to do good works, specifically in helping urgent needs, that, that when a need arises, that the church should be, should be 
um, uh, prepared or have the, the disposition to be desiring to help urgent needs. That when there's a need or when something comes up or a situation arises that the church needs to be willing and able to, to, to jump into action and meet those needs. I remember, uh, I won't name names, but years ago uh, we had a situation. Someone had came to the church. They had a significant car problem. And, and a couple of the guys, one of them who isn't here uh, tonight, heard about the situation. And right there during midweek Bible study, they went out and they fixed the situation in the car. Right there during midweek Bible study. I've heard of other situations where people needed cars and in the church, uh, right here at Connection Point Church, they just, I didn't ask, I didn't cast the vision, I didn't ask for it, I didn't even bring it up, but there was a need, they heard about it, and they decided on their own, just talking here, this, this situation, this, this lady is in need of a car, and so they raised some money and, and, they, and they helped her get a car, just, just, just meeting urgent needs, that we need to be people who are, who are willing and able to meet urgent needs, all right? And so, number five, significant to our salvation. Now, this is, coincides with what I was saying earlier, that actually, that while we're not saved by our works, that we are ultimately will be, initially, that we will be ultimately judged by our works. That God takes our works into consideration, we will be judged. And he said, I saw the great, this, this is John the Revelator, and he's seeing like the, the final judgment. And he says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. <clears throat> And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. <clears throat> and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had, to what they had done. All right? Now, I'll, I'll clarify that, you know, there's two judgments at, at the end of the world. There is um, there's a judgment for those who are outside of faith in, in Jesus Christ, a saving faith of Christ. They have a separate judgment. And then there is a judgment, uh, judgment seat of Christ. There's a great white throne judgment, which is the condemned. And there's the judgment seat of Christ, where those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ are judged and rewarded according to their works. That, you know, you do good deeds. You hear, just kind of hear people say, oh, you're going to get a crown. You're going to get a jewel in your crown when you get to heaven. I don't know if it works exactly like that, but God takes into account just your obedience and your willingness to, to meet urgent needs and to help and to serve and to minister and to be a blessing. And, and God takes those things into consideration. And the Bible says that you will be rewarded accordingly. He says you can't even give a cup of water to a prophet in the name of being a blessing to a prophet without God taking note and you receiving, what does he say, a prophet's reward. That, that nothing that you do for God goes to waste. The Bible says nothing you do for God goes away. So even giving someone a cup of water in faith or in a desire to be a blessing or to help or to serve, God sees that. And, 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 and you can trust that he, that he is able to, to keep that which you've entrusted into him. That you should, that you should uh, what does the Bible say? That you should store up treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust cannot destroy. That in a very real sense, that that as you serve the Lord, that God has called you to good works. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, go out and be a missionary and you know win millions and millions of people. In fact, don't even try unless God has called you to do something. That we're, we're called unto good works. God, right where you are, God has called you to be a blessing right where you are, and those good works are going to flow out of your faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. You just get up every day. You walk with God. You serve the Lord. You have a good attitude. You have a good heart. And when urgent needs come your way or when opportunity comes your way to serve or to be a blessing or to give, as you meet those needs, as you serve, as you give, then, then you are fulfilling the instructions of Paul here in the book of Titus to, to do good works, all right? And God takes those good works into consideration. It's written down in the book. And when we stand before the Lord, God is not going to read that book. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian, you're not standing there in judgment. Your judgment was nailed to the cross of Calvary. But it is a judgment of reward. You're being rewarded for your good deeds, through your good works, through your faithfulness, for your obedience. And that's not, that's not legalism. That's, that's Scripture. You're not saved by it, but you are, you, God takes into consideration you're rewarded for it, all right? Now, <clears throat> let's keep going. Good works are, good works are not. And let's just look at some examples of good works before we get out of here. <clears throat> I dug into this, and there's a lot to say here, but there are some consistent themes when we talk about good works, and this is kind of a tough subject to, to study and, and to teach on, but I wanted to just kind of get an overview here. Number one, obeying the Scripture, helping the less fortunate, and following Jesus are the most consistent examples of good works in the Scripture, all right? Obeying the Scripture, helping the less fortunate, and following Jesus are the most consistent. When you dig in and you really, you know, good works is a very general term, but these are kind of the guiding principles. Obeying the Scripture, helping the less fortunate, and following the Lord Jesus Christ are examples. All right, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 19. Now these, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Oh, that's an Acts. Is that Acts? Let's go to, let's go to Matthew chapter 19. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deeds must I do? What good deeds must I do? All right? Verse 17. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. He's just setting the principle that you're not going to be saved by your good deeds. Only God is good. If you would enter his life, keep the commandments. All right? So keep the commandments. He said, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's... He said, you need to obey the word of the Lord. And young man said, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? And so he says this. He says, he says therefore, then you need, if you would, per, would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. And so we find three very consistent things here. Number one is obeying the scripture, helping the less fortunate, and following the Lord. And that's kind of the general formula that we find here. Uh, for what, what it means to, to, to live a life dedicated to good works. Matthew chapter 25. Let's read that. Let's see what the Bible says in Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those, Jesus has given a parable, on his right, come, t- come, you who are blessed, my father, inherit the kingdom. Prepare for you from the foundations of the world, all right? <clears throat> for I was hungry. Now he's talking to those, as I just mentioned, that at the final judgment, the, the judgment seat of Christ where he's rewarding the righteous. And, and this is what he's saying. For I was hungry. You gave me food. See, here it is, helping the less fortunate. I was thirsty. You gave me drink, the less fortunate. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. You were hospitable. You, you cared for me. You were loving. You were compassionate. Verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. You were meeting the need. I was sick and you visited me. You took time out of your life to be compassionate, to help others. I was in prison. You came to me. And they said, how did we, when did we come to you? When did we see you in prison? When did, we, when did we give you a cup of water? When did we feed you? When did we do any of this? He said, and when you've done this to the least of me, you've done, the least among you, you've done it to me. 
In other words, what the Lord is saying is he takes how we treat others so serious. He's saying that it's as if you're doing it to me, that when you bless somebody, you're blessing me. When you feed somebody, you're feeding me. When you clothe somebody, you're clothing me. When you visit somebody, you're visiting me. When you serve somebody, you're serving me. And so we could, there's a lot of things we could say, say about what it means to do good works or to engage in good works or to, or to be a follower whose life is filled with good works. But the consistent theme over and over again is obeying the Scripture, helping the less fortunate, and, and following after the Lord. All right, You don't have to go out and you know, do something that you're not capable of. You don't have to be overwhelmed by the task of thinking you've got to check off of all the boxes of things that you should. That's not the spirit of the Scripture. The Scripture is saying... Wherever you are, whenever you have the opportunity, you need, to, you, need to, you need to follow the Scripture, you need to help the less fortunate, and you need to follow after the Lord, all right? Furthermore, we find that good works are contained in being a blessing to, to the church. And when I say the church, I mean God's people. Let's take a look at this woman by the name of Tabitha next. Look at her legacy that she left, and this is awesome. I want to preach a sermon about her. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She had a reputation which translated means Dorcas. Now, that's not a cool name, all right? But she had a great reputation. And get this, she was full of good works. Man, her, her reputation preceded her. You know, when, 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 when you enter into heaven, Jesus says he's going to say to you, well done, thou good and thou faithful servant. You know, the Bible says that if you add to your faith love and charity and, and, and brotherly kindness and patience and all these things, if you add to your faith that you're going to have an entrance into heaven. In other words, that as you bless others, as you grow in your faith, and as you make an impact in other people's lives, that when you go to heaven, people are going to, the people that have gone to heaven before you, and you have blessed, and you have touched, and you have impacted, and you have clothed, and you have fed, and you have given water to, and you have made provision for, and you have prayed for, and you have encouraged, and you've spoken a word of encouragement and inspiration to, those people that you've done those things to that have gone before you, the Bible says they are going to go, they are going to meet you, and as you enter into heaven, that they're going to be there, to, there's going to be an entrance made for you as you enter into heaven. And this woman, this disciple by the name of Tabitha, she was full of good works and acts of charity or acts of love. Her life was a life full of good works and love and serving others. And in those days, she became ill and died. And get this, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. I want to tell you, when you impact others, your life is going to be significant so that when you're not there, your presence is going to be felt. It's going to be missed. And so look what happened. So Peter rose and went with him. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows, uh, widows stood beside him weeping. They were sad because she had made such an impact in that church. She had been such a blessing to those around her that all the widows were there standing beside him weeping and showing the tunics and the other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. This was a woman, I can't imagine she had too many talents. I, I don't, the Bible doesn't say much. She, must not, she might not have had much money. She might not have had many talents. She might not have been some great preacher. She might not have had a beautiful angelic voice. She might not have had great influence or great wealth or, or great prosperity or whatever. But what she did could do is she knew how to make tunics and garments and she used what she she could do. She had what was in her hand and she used it to bless others. And she made such an impact that when she passed away, that there was a whole community there that was gathered there uh, to, in her support and grieving and mourning her. And they, they came and they prayed for the Apostle Peter to come and, or they asked the Apostle Peter to come and pray for her. 
Pull that scripture back up one more time, if you don't mind, please. Sorry. And Peter rose, went with him, and when he took to the, blah, 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 went to the upper room, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was, while she was with him. She was serving. She was full of good work. She was making tunics, and she was making garments, and she was giving them to the, to the church. She just was using what she could use, what was in her hand, to be a blessing to others. Amen? All right. So blessing the church, obeying the scripture, helping the less fortunate, following Jesus, blessing the disciples, blessing the church, and then finally meeting the urgent, meeting urgent needs, all right? Being exposed to a burden, or being exposed to a need, allowing yourself to be burdened by the needs of others, not being in such a rush, not being in such a hurry, that what he says here in Titus chapter 3, verse 14, that you actually are prepared to meet urgent needs. Here's, here's, here's the teaching tonight. Here's the point. Here's the principle. And I was probably a little boring tonight. I apologize. But here's the whole takeaway. All right? Get this. That we need to be a people who are learning to devote themselves to good works. Another translation, I believe the New King James says that you are prepared for good works. In other words, that you are just training your mind, training your attitude, training your spirit for good works. That when a need arises, if possible, granted you can't just drop everything all the time, that, 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 that you are dispositioned, you are prepared to, to respond to needs so as to help cases of urgent needs, and therefore you will not be unfruitful. Amen. You might not be able to meet every need, but there will be needs that will arise in your life, and when they do, that you will be prepared that, hey, I can, I can do something about this. I can, I can help here. I, was, I had a situation at the house the other night. We just got this porch put in, and, and uh, um, we, our lights were flickering. It, there was like two fans and lights out on the porch. It was a new, you know, we had some guys come out and run some wiring, and, and then that same night that we had that installed, uh, the lights in our house were like flickering and, and eventually went out, went downstairs, the breaker, the, the, the um, breaker had shut off. And so I, I, I touched the panel and it was like hot to touch. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is, <laughs> this is really not good. And what made it even worse is Cindy had been on me for like two weeks about getting some more smoke alarms. And I'm thinking, oh man, now she's really just, I'm really condemned now. <clears throat> And it was hot. It was like really hot. I mean, like when your breaker, when your when your panel is hot, that's not a good thing, right? And so, I I called Jim, and then Jim called Bobby Wilkerson, and Bobby's one of those guys, man. He just is just he is he is prepared to do good works, if you know Bobby. And he doesn't go to church here anymore, but man, he's just a good guy. He's an electrician by trade. He's a handyman now. But he just always was just ready to help. Just if you ask him, it's just like Janine, uh, <laughs> he used to get in trouble just because he was so willing to help people. His wife didn't like it so much sometimes. But man, he was such a good guy. And so we, it was like 10 o'clock at night, and Bobby drove out to my house at 10 o'clock at night, checked the wiring, checked it all, got me set up, came back uh, uh, like two days later, replaced the breaker. Just on a phone call, he just came and helped. And it was just like, you know, I forced him to let me pay him. But that wasn't the point. He, he just was trying to help. 
And man, what, what an awesome thing. What a blessing to be the kind of person that you're just prepared to help. I text Jason this week and asked him about doing some painting. It was just like, man, right away, yeah, whatever you need, get it, we'll get it done. It's just like prepared to help. What an awesome testimony. Just there's a need, and yeah, I'm prepared. I'm ready to help. Now, we can't, we can't be like that all the time. Sometimes we're going to have things that get in the way and, you know, just, you know, not able to do it. But, but what I believe the Scripture is saying here is we need to be people that are aware of the significance of just being a blessing to others, and, and we need to prepare ourselves to be ready to do good works. Amen? Amen. Let's stand tonight. We're going to wrap up Titus with that. Next week, we're going to do Philemon. Philemon is, this is a short book, but man, it's got so much good stuff in Philemon. We're going to do Philemon, do one, one lesson on Philemon, and then I'll probably have a one-off. Um, I've been studying angels lately in my own time, so maybe we'll do, we'll do a one-night study on angels, the Bible says about it, and... Um, and then that first Wednesday, we're going to have prayer in, in, in September, and then we're going to dedicate some time to outreach and so forth. So I'll give you some more plans about that. But, but let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us. I really just, I think the real heart of, the, of really the consistent theme in Titus was good works, alignment and good works. One of the things we need to align ourselves with spiritually is, is being prepared to meet needs and to be a blessing, to be engaged in good works. Amen. And so I really believe that's that's the heart that's the heart of the Lord, and that should be the that should be just the the, the culture of the church. Amen. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us with that. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank.